All right, you guys ready to get started to, uh, to crawl into the inf infinite wisdom of our minds? <laughs> or the incredible lack thereof. Everybody's like, no, nah, I'm just going to chill in the lobby. It's better out there. Snacks in the lobby. We should roll snacks in here. So, I wish Justin was here for the Q&A. He's always fun doing this. He's like always chasing squirrels. Yeah, yeah, just face. I t he, he, he asked me if I would uh, FaceTime him on my phone and then just strap the phone to my face and just do it that way. And, uh, oh, she's coming in on the Q&A here. She's getting in on it. She's got, I know. She has a peanut in one hand and an ink pen in the other. So, yeah, she's got our, she's equipped for life. Right here, here she comes. There she goes. She's, she's front and center here. Hi. She's just doing her thing. Here, here's your mama. Here's your mama. <laughs> what would you like to say? Nothing. Come on. All right, Dad. Oh, here, hammer your cell phone. That'll answer it. There, come here. Oop. Oh. <laughs> Ellie is truly a free-range child. <laughs> She's so organic, you don't even know. So, all right. So typically, uh, now, um, typically I know we've done question and answers, and obviously a lot of this is going to be directed at these guys, so I'm, I'm out. But uh, <clears throat> if you've got anything, just throw it out there. I've got a few things to kind of get the ball rolling that I, I thought might be interesting. Hopefully you think they're interesting. Um, so uh, we'll throw it out there. Um, and I was kind of trying to keep things along the line of the, the conference. And so a, a question that kind of came to my mind, and this is because we talked about discipleship. I think Neil and I talked about discipleship a little bit. Paul brought it up as well while we were talking after the service this morning. And, and Ben, uh, we've talked about this many times. But uh, here's, here's a thought I'd like for you guys to kick around. Um, what would be one of the most important truths of the new covenant that you want to, sh you would like for a new convert to get just right out of the gate. They've got, you know, the cross saved them. What do you want them to get right out, right out of the gate? The first thing you would sit down to somebody and say, "Hey, I want you to grasp this." What do you think it would be? Feel free to answer at random. <laughs> I, I, I think to learn to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. I think if we could equip people to follow the Spirit. They can handle whatever is thrown at them. He's the internal guide. He's the plumb line. He's the thing that steers the vessel. You know, and I think a lot of times the reason we're afraid to set people free into liberty is because we're afraid they'll send like crazy without certain structures or whatever. And, um, but I think if you can equip people with the identity of the spirit, learn how to follow. What Paul said in Colossians is that let the peace of God umpire you. And um, he, he says rule you, but it's the Greek word for umpire. And let let and the, and the Holy Spirit is righteousness, peace, and joy. And so, I, I think if we can teach people, I would want to teach someone listen for that voice of peace. Where that peace is shaken, that's the warning of the Spirit to watch the ground that you step on. And I think that's um, that's where I would want to start. 
Anybody else? Neil, bring the heat. I, I agree with Paul, and I even as he was speaking, I was thinking of something that I said this morning because it's something that was so in the beginning of my walk, and I wish I would have known that was like you don't graduate from getting saved by grace. Like you don't, you're not saved one way and sanctified another. Yeah. So the same way you start with Christ by grace through faith is the same way you walk in Christ by grace through faith. Mm -hmm. So it's like a grace walk, you know. You got into this eternal life by grace through faith. Now your daily abundant life is going to be experienced the same way, by grace through faith. So, because I, I think if you don't help people with that, then they'll have to take the long way around, or maybe they need to, I don't know, but it's like, so many unnecessary laps around the block I took. I feel like just to come back to like, man, the same way I got saved initially is the same way I walk daily by grace through faith. Mm. You got something? Oh, I thought you were like that. No pressure. You good? He's square. <clears throat> All right. Uh, here, uh, another one maybe. Um, it's kind of maybe changes gear. Well, it's going to change gears quite a bit. Uh, in your opinion, uh, what are some of the challenges some of the challenges that you see the average grace church or community grappling with um, both um, at the moment, like practically and maybe philosophically even things that you see kind of, and, and I'm Paul, I mean, you travel a little bit more extensively than the rest of us, but you've been in a couple of different, like literally regions of the country. You've been, been in different types of churches, Ben. I mean, what are some of the things that you're seeing at the moment um, that are going on? And I'm not talking about, like, issue-driven things mm -hmm. as much as just, I mean, I'm not asking you to, like, be like, well, I watch this TV preacher and he X, Y, Z. I think that Neil spoke to it tonight, and I, we, I think we both dealt with it through our sermons today, and that's that works as a four-letter word in the church. And I, I've seen that. It's so difficult to teach grace communities that there's things they ought to do. It's like they have PTSD against any instruction. It's like the minute that someone says to them, we ought to do this, they bristle and go, I'm not going back under works. It's like even I think the Lord Jesus himself could walk in and say, hey, we ought to do this. And they go, don't tell me what to do. You know, there's this, this interesting dynamic that has happened that has pushed us away from any sort of. And, I, and where I think that's manifesting itself is in this whole this almost politically charged environment we're in where we're battling so much between my rights and my responsibility. And the, the truth is we're not even really battling with our responsibility. We're just ignoring it because we say, well, I, I have the right to do this and I have the right to do that and I'm free and I have identity and I have liberty. And the, the most frustrating thing for me is to see us struggle so difficultly to lay down our own hopes, dreams, and desires for the sake of our neighbor. Um, and that's a, that's a problem across the board. I don't think it's just a grace community church, a grace church's issue, mm -hmm. but I do think that that is something the grace community is going to have to reassess in the next generation. If we're going to, we're raising young people with identity, it's great. We're raising them with knowing who they are, it's great. But we have to, I think we have to get back to showing them that they are part of a greater community and that they do owe their neighbor. I mean, Paul said, owe no many, man anything but to love him. But he didn't say not to love him. Right. And, and, and that, that, that's part of the works package that, that I think we've bristled from. 
Yeah, we were talking about that uh, right afterward, after uh, service this morning. Yeah. And it's the, uh, I can remember, and, and Neil, you even brought that up, you know, beforehand, it's like you ran, ran right to the second half of the epistle. You know, boom, you were right there. Uh -huh. You skip all the identity things. You're running right into these things you need to do, these, you know, checklists, the checklists you need to make. And coming out of a fundamentalist background, I mean, that was your bread and butter. I mean, that, that put money in the basket right there. You know what I mean? And uh, you preach the really hard sermons, and we called that one ripping your face off. I mean, that was a good one. Yeah. But uh, then it's like as you come into grace, then all of a sudden there is that feeling of that struggle. Yeah. How do I, so, so let's kick this around a little bit more. How, how are we presenting these things? What, how are we going to present these things in such a way to where, you know, we're claiming responsibility, you know, but we're not claiming the fact that, you know, who you are as a person is wrapped up in this thing, you know. Uh, when, when we're dealing with that in grace communities, I mean, how are we approaching that? Or how do you think it should be approached, if I can put it that way? You guys are making this super easy, and so I want to say I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll, try, I'll, try, I'll chime in. I think um, another thing that maybe I've observed, maybe because I did it, was I think there's a season, and it might be normal, and I'm, I'm kind of okay with it to an extent, but, you know, I'm trying to, then it's hard to kind of bring it back, in that when you first get saved, or I'm not saved, like when you first when you're a recovering, uh, you know, legalist and you're in your support group, the conversation is usually for a long time what you used to do. And, you know, and so the conversation is all the things that you're free from. Man, I'm so glad I'm free from door knocking or I'm free from whatever it was like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and it's all this freedom from all of the rules and the regulations. And I think people spend a season there. Mm -hmm. But then they, uh, hopefully it translates to what, who they're free for. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're trying to talk about. It's like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm free from all that stuff, but I'm free in order to be free as unto the Lord. And then I think to me that looks like, like the second half of the epistles. You know, I'm free for that stuff. Uh, Andrew, you have Well, I think it's, um, I think it was done really well tonight, the understanding that activity really springs forth from identity, and an activity that doesn't spring forth from identity but, but is being done to identify is works that lead unto death. And, and I, I think what Paul tries to do with the Ephesians is what really what hopefully we're trying to do taking a pretty good lead from Paul, which is to teach us that it isn't what I do that saves me, but because I'm saved, here's what I do. Uh, and and I, I think if we major in the first half of that, which is, hey, you guys don't have to do anything, 
Salvation is a gift of God. It's a work of grace. That's great. It brings people to the place they need to be in identity. If we stop there, then we don't teach them that they've been created unto good works, that, that the reason this creation is on the earth, that he didn't just give you your new creation identity and then take you to heaven. You know, just, okay, you're done because, hey, you got it. That's it. Why not? Why, why don't you just bring me home? Because there are more people out there that I want to see the life, my life on the earth. And so you're a conduit for that life. And I really want to see the world through your eyes. That's something I think that's, that we forget, too, is I think part of the, the salvation experience is that the Father seeing the world through our eyes, through our culture, through our language, through the way we live. And, and so it is about then taking that out to our neighbor. And, and so for me, it's, it's I, wanna, I want my works to come from knowing who I am, not my works to define who I am. And, and I think to do that, we have that's, that's, that's very proactive, though. We have to be active at doing that in ministry. Otherwise, what I've seen is that if we're not proactive with that second half, which is, hey, works will come out of your identity, then we end up sort of kind of where we are, which is, I don't have to do anything. Um, and, and I don't think that's the landing spot for Paul, and I don't think it should be the landing spot for us. Say yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that when I, when, you know, I've been in ministry for quite a while, and looking back, you know, a lot of the ministry activities I, I, I've been involved in, you know, even though before I really truly understood my identity, I was really trying to love people, and I was really trying to reach out to people. I wasn't trying to, you know, I didn't look at as I was trying to get people into law and ministering people with law. I was going out sharing the gospel, and people were getting saved. And and but one the difference though was as I was getting further down in the journey, I was exhausted. I was the one that was just completely spent, and it finally would get through cycles to where I could not. I didn't have any more left in me, and I knew that was not correct. I knew that was not good. But now looking back. If I could, you know, I know now I'm not in a deficit with God at all. I know that. But the reality is Christianity as a whole in the eyes of man is in a deficit when it comes to love, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to reaching out to people. I may be in a deficit to my neighbor, you know what I mean, because I failed to communicate or to give or to do and all of us in our personal experience, our personal lives have to understand that, that we are to get the love that we've got and then go out and bring it to people that need it. And you know who that person is right now in your mind. You're thinking of that person, you know what I mean, that, that you know needs what you have. It's just what can we do to get that to them? And I think it's a lot simpler than what, what we need to make it out to be. You know, I don't think it's as complicated. It's not recipe-oriented. And I think as far as church goes, we, you know, we used to always, like you were talking about the model, you know what I mean, going to the model. You know, you're always looking for the formula. You know, in our denomination, that's the way it was. You look at the church in town that has the biggest crowd. You find out what they're doing. Then you replicate what they're doing to try to get the results that they're doing because only God could give those results. But when you get in ministry, you find out, no, that's not true at all. If, you're, if ministry is just about filling buildings, we could fill this building 
you know what I mean, in, in about a month, you know what I mean, with the right motivate we could we could talk about who the antichrist is <laughs> and we have we we could you could have large crowds of people and you could have a lot of people excited about a message or a church but the question is are they excited about Jesus you know what i mean is Jesus truly the draw that brings people in is is that is this what it is? Is this, is this a, can we come and hear the gospel every Sunday and be satisfied with that message? And you know, but all that to say, we're not. I think when it comes to churches, I think every church is unique, and you can't go to what Neil's doing at his church or what you're doing at your church. It's up to us as a body of believers to figure out. How are we all gifted? How are we uniquely gifted? Who do we need? What, what does our focus need to be in this city? Who are, who are the ones that God's leading us to do? And we have to work together on that. You know, if not, we'll have a Babel type of, a, you know what I mean, uh, situation. Well, you talked about that, right? So anyway. You know, well, along those lines, <laughs> you know, we, we talk a lot and we, and we make, I find myself and I, this is where this question is coming from, or this statement to get, keep the ball rolling. I find myself making generalized statements sometimes in messages um, that could be interpreted anyway, really. Things like, you know, you have to live from Christ, which is a true statement, you know. So my question is, what are some of those... We can't use outward markers, it's very easy to fake it. I've faked it for years. You know, I may have even faked it last Sunday. You'll never know. But uh, the, the point being is, is what are some of those inward markers as we look in where we're at and our thinking and our hearts and our minds, not being morbidly introspective, but just knowing as we know Christ, we know ourselves and those two become, you know, or have become one. So what would you say are some of those markers that we can look at internally where we're at, body, soul, spirit, to where we're not living from Christ. You know, we may be going through the motions, and we do that, you know. We, we all do it at times. What are some of those markers, some of those telltale signs we can ask ourselves, now, wait a minute, what's going on with me here, and why is this going on with me? Does that question make sense? Did that couch it clear enough? Oh. Yeah. I, I, Diagnosis. question makes <laughs> sense, yeah. I, I didn't know that it's... Um, it's probably going to be different person to person, maybe experience to experience. I know for me, it, it's, um, I think that, that coming into the revelation of identity, finished work, put whatever title you want, love of God, sort of post-salvation, you know, like I'm converted, but then I'm religious for 20 years, and then, oh, I come into a knowledge. Okay, whatever that moment is, that's your revelation moment. That's the moment that leads to your transformation. I think that's, an un, that's Jesus saying, come unto me, all you labor heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Here, you can have it. Um, but I think the rest that comes up here and in here with all my emotions, my, my psyche, he says, learn of me and you'll find rest. In the same passage, come to me and I'll give you rest. Yoke together with me, learn of me, you'll find rest. I think there's two different kinds of rest, and I think that we have rest in our spirit from trying to get to heaven, yeah. trying to be righteous, trying to be justified. I got that. That's a revelation we walk into. 
The other rest is realizing that you're yoked together. And what, what a yoke is is when you put two oxen on the same row. And so a yoke is to do work. And so I'm out here doing work, whatever work looks like. And when I yoke together with Jesus, I learn to let him lead. And I just follow. And where I'm not letting him lead in my marriage or my money or my job or my stuff, I won't have rest. For me, that marker is wherever I'm stressing, I'm probably not letting him pull on the yoke. And because I'm not finding rest for my psyche. I have rest in my spirit. You're not going to convince me I'm not, a, I'm not saved. Forget it. But it won't, you won't have to work too hard to convince me I need to lay something down because I'm stressing out or I'm freaking out. Let's go. Maybe I'm not letting him lead this yoke. That's, that's kind of how I, one of my markers. Yeah. yeah, amen, amen, good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, uh, I know for me, it's a matter of, um, like when I feel that way, mm, yeah. we talked about this a little bit this morning, is I'm very, uh, and I don't know if you've ever been around here for a minute, but I'm slightly analytical about things, you know, and I like to be able to, you know, I like to try to formulize things so I can kind of put it together in that way in which it, if it's going to fail, fine. I want to understand why it's failing, you know what I mean? And so, unfortunately, that leads us to a place a lot of the times, me personally, I know you guys don't deal with this, but uh, where, you know, you 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 want a, a very, I don't know, you want like this passive amount of control. It's not like you want to be like this dictator type of a guy that comes in and is like, all right, everybody snapped attention. But uh, you want to be able to have this ability to take care of things with inside and in yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? The information, information junkie, you know? So any other thoughts on that? Anybody? Pressure and Ben. I'm just going to sit here and look at Ben. I'm still trying to figure out what your question was. Okay, I got you. Good. <laughs> no markers in your life? Yeah. Um, not me. I, I'm not saying you have to use it like a personal illustration, but, you know, if you want to tell us your deep, dark secrets, we'll take them. I don't them. know. I, you know, I think from a ministry, trying to minister to people, um, you know, mine unique. I mean, our, I guess our experience was, was unique. You know, I left the church, and, you know, for the first time when I left the church and I left the full-time job and everything, it, and I have really felt like for the first time I took a step of faith, you know what I mean? Now, I've been teaching people live by faith, you should live by faith, give by faith, everything's by faith, and because the Bible tells me that, but when I finally, like, took a step out and I didn't know what the next step was, it, there was peace. It, which was the opposite of what you would normally do if you don't have health insurance now and you don't have a job, and, you know. But I knew God was going to, that was a marker time for me. It was like the Lord told me, it's time to go. It's time for you to leave here. But I was teaching grace the last six months I was there. It was the polar opposite of what was a normal on, normally on the menu there at the church I was at. Um, so, you know, when I left there, naturally other people that had been beat up in the ministry were wanting to come to me. And one of the things I was trying not to do was make any Bible study or any get-together about what our experience was in this situation. 
And it took two years of, of home Bible study to get people to get their eyes off what they went through and get it on Jesus. You know what I mean? Two years, two years of Bible study and fellowship and working with people. And then you came down here. Then we, you know, we were able to start the church. And likewise, we wanted to make the church about Jesus. And that's it, you know, 100%. And, you know, that was, you know, we were so excited about Jesus. Now I feel like we're in a spot now here to where we're really hungry for the next step of where, what is, you know, what, is, what, what does God have for us as a group? You know what I mean? Um, and I'm looking forward to that. I believe, I believe we're, we're working through that now. So. You know, and I guess along those same lines now, which kind of lead, what, the way that you presented your answer to that kind of led me into the next question. It was, uh, we talked a lot about personal revelation, you know, through both of the messages, and we talk about that a lot here as well. <clears throat> and so uh, here's uh, the question. Looking back, uh, what is an important, and Ben, you just answered this basically with what you just said, uh, so, I'm saying, so, so I'm saying you can't answer again. But uh, looking back, uh, what is an important moment of revelation that really changed you in a permanent way? Now, I know some of those moments can probably be too personal for us to know, but there are some, I think, that, I mean, would be, I think, might be relevant in that manner. I feel like a, a big thing for me was um, Jesus, just knowing that Jesus was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And then I stopped asking Jesus to give me things, you know, like it's a life of acquisition. Like if I only had more of this or more of that, I started to transfer it to, and I was really serious about it. And I was saying, Jesus, would you be these? I just, it was the, for me, it was the power of the word be. Like, will you just be my life? Will you just be my forgiveness? Will you? I just inserted B. And I, it, rather than do or give, it just, will you, will you just be this for me? So. Paul, anyway, along those I, lines. I, I, um, this is going to sound, this was a sound off the wall, but. It's going to work perfect here. It's going to work perfect. <laughs> but it was real for me. Um, when, I re, when I came to a knowledge that the sword is never in Jesus' hand. It's always coming out of his mouth in Revelation. And that's why I say it, that's odd. Well, how did that change you? If the sword's never in his hand, then his victory doesn't look like anything I'm used to seeing. His victory is not violent. It's not retaliatory. It's not military. It's coming out of his mouth it means to me this is this was life changing that i should pay attention to what he says um so it reemphasized the words in red for me um because the word of god is quick and sharp and more powerful than a two-edged sword but where's it at it's the word and uh that was that was uh i'm still rolling wrestling that one yeah <laughs> You know, and a lot of times we, we run into these, and I think this could be true for all of us, we run into these moments uh, that we didn't quite plan for that kind of jolts your brain, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, you know, and they're usually processional, 
You know, yeah. when I say a moment, it's really not quite fair because uh, we come to a moment that had 27 steps, if I can use that before it got us there. I know I can remember uh, when I was in Utah, the church there, we, the building we rented, surprise, was owned by a Mormon guy. And uh, he was a really nice dude, you know, most of them are and uh, out there. And so I really wanted him to come to church really bad, you know, because that was going to be the number one place things were going to go down for him, you know. So he came on an Easter, of all things, and I knew he was coming. He had like It was like a Super Bowl countdown for him. He's like, hey, man, I'm going to be at church two weeks. I'm going to be there, you know. So I'm like, I'm like studying plus bonus two zero on this. I'm like in it, you know. I'm like studying it up. And uh, I think I preached the worst sermon I've ever preached in my life that day because it had nothing to do with the gospel, even though I thought it did. You know what I mean? I thought it was like a straight fire gospel message. It wasn't. It wasn't at all. It wasn't even close. And, you know, back then it was the, the traditional. Remember when you were you used to go to church and the pastor stood at the back door and you had to shake his hand for you left? Yeah. You know, it was like a funeral visitation line or something. It's crazy. <laughs> and so I was, you know, doing the handshake and he stopped me, pulled me to the side. And he's like, man, look, I'm going to tell you something. I'll take it the wrong way. He's like, you would make a great Mormon. I do not understand why you're not Mormon. We've got so much more to add to you. Man, I, I was this, I was like disgusted, angry, mad. But of course, I had to keep the pastor face on. So I was like, oh, bless thy heart, good brethren. You know what I mean? <laughs> but uh, that really stuck with me in my head. I like went in my office. I sat down. I was like, why would this guy think that I'd make a good Mormon? You know? And... I mean, you could fast forward it, and I don't want to belabor the story, but my point being is, is that that was a moment where I realized that something was wrong with what I was saying versus what I was believing. I was believing that Christ could save people, but I was preaching Christ in such a way, I wasn't preaching him at all, you know? I mean, basically, I was preaching Jesus like he was Moses' little cousin, you know? And that, that made a kind of a, that made like a huge impact in my mind. Because here I am on the other side of the, you know, you might as well live in it. I know, I mean, Neil gets it, and I know some of you guys have been there. But literally, it's like when you cross the state line out of Colorado into Utah, it's like you're in a different world. It's just different. So I was like, I'm in this weird place, and this guy thinks that I'm like, I'm here to rescue this dude, and he thinks that I need to, like, hook up with them. And, and that didn't set well with me. It took about two and a half years from there before you know, all the steps were taken and you walked around all the cones and the hurdles and then Jesus is like, hey, remember me? You know, so anyways. Any questions out there? Yeah, you guys got anything? Yes, ma'am, Miss Kelly. Wow, I missed that sign. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. That's in Birmingham. Oh, okay. No, I'm farther away than that. Sorry. The sign, the sign was lost on me. No, we're, we're like 3.30 from here, so we picked the wrong number. And Neil's still recovering emotionally from that, so... <laughs> Yeah. And then you were talking about um, exhorting us not to take heed of the word. Um, I have 
Yeah. Great question. I would start with this and, and, and encourage you in, in your journey of helping make disciples with, with the encouragement that believing in Jesus is easy. Being a disciple is hard. Anyone that tells you otherwise is probably underselling what it means to be a disciple. Why I say it's hard, it's not hard to stay saved, it's not hard to know you're righteous. It's because Jesus' discipleship program is watch how I do it, learn of me, respond the way I respond, love the way I love. And it's never going to be the, the easy people. You know, the sinners can forgive, Jesus says. The sinners love people that love them, big deal. He said it's loving the guy that doesn't love you, that's what's tough. So the discipleship runs into issues when we move outside that comfort zone. And so the baseline to me is to go back to Jesus because that's where it all starts. That's that sword out of his mouth. Go back and say, we start learning how to hear the Holy Spirit by watching Jesus who lived the Holy Spirit out in front of us. So we can go back to him, see how he did it, see how he handled it, see how he walked this out, see how he reinterpreted everything we thought we knew about God. Because that's really, I think, what Jesus is doing. Is it, he lives his life. It's like I said this morning, I think Jesus is sort of God going, now let me explain myself. You know, watch how Jesus moves. But that's not easy to pick up on. And, and so I encourage you, continue to go back to watch him because even his own disciples missed it. His disciples, John 14, say, all of this talk's good, but just show us the Father. And Jesus says, how long do I need to be here before you realize if you see me, you've seen the Father? And that's because their version of God didn't look like Jesus. And so go back, go back, go back to Jesus. That's where I start. That, that would be it as, as, a, as a disciple. So go back to the words of Christ. As far as following the Spirit, it's... It's trial and error. we got to let people make mistakes. We have to let people, they, we have to let them know that failing is not failure, that missing it is not being out of it. And, and this is why I say to parents, we've got to raise our kids in a way that they're free to fail because if they're not free to fail, they're not going to be risky. If they're not, not going to be risky, they're not going to do anything. And you don't want the world created by those that, don't do anything. Um, you'd rather have the one that is, you know, people who are liberated. So following the Holy Spirit is trial and error. And, and it's learning that I made this move. Because I, I remember when my son went through something in high school, and I remember going to him later and saying, and he's not a spiritual guy per se, to be honest with you. 
Um, and I remember going to him and saying, Don't, didn't you know that was wrong before you did it? And he said, I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that what I was feeling in me was the Holy Spirit until I'd already messed up. And I thought, man, that's, that's, like, that's good theology. That's, I mean, like, you got to go down that road and fall down before you can figure it out. But sometimes you got to go down that road and fall down before you can figure it out. And then you go, okay, that was the Holy Spirit. But once you're liberated to fall down and you go, okay, now get back up. It's just like the, the passage that Neil was quoting from Hebrews where he goes, I have more things to tell you, but you're immature. And he says, strong meters for those of you whose senses have been exercised to discern the difference between good and evil. Exercise means practice. That's really what that word is in the Greek. Strong meets for those of you who practiced enough to know the difference between good and evil. How are you going to know the difference if you don't practice? And how are you going to know you got it right until you know you got it wrong? So following the Holy Spirit is, okay, that was the wrong move to make. How did I figure that out? Well, my peace was robbed. I walked into it anyway, and then I paid the price. And now I got a bunch of chaos, and I'm going to pray God deliver me from it. And in the areas where I'm going to have to get out of it by doing what I got to do, then I've got to do that. But that doesn't make me stop being a disciple. It just shows me that I have to practice listening to the Holy Spirit. So maybe next time I'll feel that grating in my peace before I turn left and I know I should turn right. And you go, that's how you identify the voice of the Spirit? Yeah. That's, that's how you begin. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the last verse of Hebrews 5. Yeah, <laughs> good. All right, good question. Anything else? Anybody got anything? No? Good job, Mom. <laughs> now, she, now she wants to know if she can borrow 20 bucks. <laughs> that's, a, that's actually a, a concept that I've, I've said before that has convinced me that people actually prefer discipline under law to discipline under grace because they actually want to be told what to do. Right. Yeah. They want to be told what to do rather than being told you're released. Go follow the Spirit. And then we go, I don't, want to, I don't want to follow the Spirit. Just tell me what to do. You go, live, true liberty is, is being able to follow. What are these works we should do? You know, believe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Believe. <laughs> well, it takes away the stress, you know, yeah. the, or what we perceive as stress yeah. for somebody to just say, I don't know if you ever managed anybody in any capacity. Well, it's not he, That's the main thing, too. You know right. what I mean? Being told all the time is not living by faith and trusting what the Spirit is doing within you. Yeah. You know, that's what they said. The law is good, but the law is not faith. 
You know what I mean? It's not living by faith. It's you always, you're expecting a result by doing a desired task in the process. So, good. So, you grab that microphone with such authority. No, I think along those lines, um, there's a, in, before Auschwitz, there's a, there's a sign that, I don't speak German, but it, the, it's a grand deception because it was a labor camp and it was um, work makes free. And I, I think, I thought about like, what a trick. Like, come into this labor camp, and if you work really hard, you'll get your freedom, and the opposite was true. But I think there's something to what you're saying, all of you guys, in that if you take someone that's in prison, they're told what to wear, what to eat, when to go to bed, and then you give them their freedom, a lot of times they end up back in the same situation because they can't handle their freedom. And kind of what you were saying, what you're saying too, it's like, we are free, you know, and we need to, where Jesus said, said my sheep know me, they hear my voice. We are, we need to be acquainted with the, with the shepherd's voice, you know, that's spending time with Jesus. And I think what looks a lot like Jesus and, and how this all plays out, what you were saying too, Paul, is... You know, I, I, someone said, like, um, the Bible is God's character in print, where Jesus is God's character in person. And when we look to the person of Christ, and we look at how he lived, I was saying this earlier, we will probably never do what Jesus did. I would love the water to wine thing. That would be awesome. <laughs> um probably never ever do what Jesus did but I could live how Jesus lived and he lived in such a dependent way in the of the father that when he was tempted in the in the wilderness I believe the devil was trying to get him to act independent independent yeah. and out of his deity right because he knew he like since you're the son of god do this because I know you could do it act independent and I think we could learn from Jesus in how he related to the Father and how he yielded to the Spirit and how he was led in those ways in that, I mean, it, when you, it's, it's almost, when you say difficult, when you think about how Jesus lived, mm. like people will say, oh, you grace by faith. I'm like, really? Try it. Yeah. Try to live by faith. It's so much easier to live in a prison. Give me a prison warden and tell me what to wear. You know what I mean? But to live by faith, man, in a total dependent relationship on the Father, surrendered to the Spirit, moment by moment by moment by moment, what you're going to say, I only do it once in a while. But Jesus did it 24-7. And I think that he's the model. I'll not do what he did, but I could live how he lived. And he lived in total dependence on the Father under the yielded, surrendered, um, you know, submission to the Holy Spirit. And that was the Trinity in action, uh, to me, at least. What did Jesus say? He said, I, on, I only do what I see the Father do. Right. You know, so. All right. I think this is a good place to stop. I think, uh, unless anybody's got any questions, uh, we'll, we'll pull it down here. Uh, Jennifer, do you have any questions? Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Brian? Brian? All right, yes, sir.
think a yeah. lot of those those situations have to do with uh, <clears throat> squaring up what goes on here on a jacked up earth with uh, what we know God to be true in His justice. You know, um, you know, even Abraham said it when he <clears throat> when he said, "I'm God's son, going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah." And Abraham said, "You know, shall not the the judge of all the earth do right?" And so, uh, in a lot of those situations, it's like they're, you have to address, in my mind, what is it that they've experienced that they're trying to project on to God having, you know, let them down in that area in some way. Right. You know, I think it's uh, more, I don't think a per, when a person, a lot of this deconstruction talk that we hear about, I don't think they're losing, like they're turning into atheists, they're not. They're just refusing to believe that God is going to ultimately be just because they don't see it happening in an immediate sense. Um, any of you guys can jump in and bail me out at any moment now. So, <laughs> well, You know, when Jesus was ministering, you know, oftentimes people were angry because he was describing God in a way they did not like, you know, or they did not understand. And I feel like that a lot when I try to talk about Jesus. I feel like I'm either trying to talk about Jesus in a way that people don't want it, you know what I mean? Or I'm even trying to talk about people that they don't even understand it. Because even the lost have a preconceived idea of what they believe God is and who he is. And you're trying to reconstruct a lot of that with people, and and I, which ultimately too, it's not me. It's the spirit of God is the one doing. And that was, uh, you know, talking about markers when, in your in your experience, that was another one because I was so, you know, I, I had to save the world. I had to tell everybody about Jesus. I had to, you mm -hmm. know, you've been there. Yeah. But when the one day the Holy Spirit's like, look, I'm shouldering that responsibility. Just live in me. You know what I mean? I'm. I've got this, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Just, it's going to be okay. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not burdened for the lost. It just means I know that he, has got, he's got, he is shouldering that responsibility. I'm just partaking in it in the moments that, that I have. Because I don't know about you, when you can share Jesus and you know the Spirit's there, it's awesome, isn't it? You didn't have to script it. You didn't have to think about it. You didn't have to write it out. You didn't have to plan it. It's just like next thing you know, you're connected with somebody on a level that you can't, uh, you can't explain except for it's the Spirit is, is using you, and you know that's the case. And even back when I used to knock doors, there were those moments I had those. Most of them weren't. Most of them were people saying, look, I'll say whatever you say as long as you leave. You know what I mean? So, but anyway, all that to say, you know, people's per perceptions of God are really they're really screwed up, and they're really messed up. And even Jesus did that. He, the yeah. Pharisees hated him because he would even refer to God as Father. Like, who in the world do you think you are yeah. referring to God this way? And I find the religious are that way. Who do you think you are? Yeah. You know what I mean? You want to talk about, you know what I mean? You don't pray to, you know, to have your sins forgiven. Are you nuts? Yeah. You know, that's not God. You know what I mean? But anyway. Yeah, but building off that, if... if if you explain to me what it is about God you don't believe in, a lot of times I would agree, okay, I'm an atheist too. I don't believe right. in that God either. 
You know, and that, that's kind of where I try to start with people. Is go, well, tell me what you know about God. And then they, they, they spill out five or six things, and you go, I'm with you. <laughs> I don't believe in him either. That, because what you just described isn't God. So I think some of it's that. I would say that I think, I think that doubt is not the enemy of faith. I think doubt is the best friend of faith. Unbelief is the enemy of faith. Doubt is how you know your faith's worth something. Because if you can at least be honest about what you doubt, then you can get to wrestling. You might end up in a good place. And so I don't think we should push people's doubts away. Like, doubt's a bad thing. That's stupid. Don't doubt. No, I mean, you don't change from Jacob to Israel without getting in a wrestling match with God. If you want to end up with a limp, having went down a road and gotten a fight over something, then you need to get busy wrestling. And you're not going to wrestle if you don't have some doubts. I mean, what are you wrestling? You already believe it. You already got it figured out. And so I think it's you walk down the road with them. You know, you don't have to encourage unbelief. I mean, why would you? You're a believer. But I think encouraging doubt's okay as long as, you know, wrestle it out with them. And, um, and don't, don't, don't be scared to confront doubts. Doubts can be good. Faith without where someone hasn't doubted, I don't believe in that. People go, well, I believe that. I don't have any doubts. You go, wow, you got that nailed. Huh? You've already got it figured out. You haven't even wrestled out any opposition thought at all. You haven't considered the possibility that, okay. Because something's going to come along that's going to shake that. Right. And then you're going to be left having never wrestled any of your doubts out. And then, and then you're starting over. I think the Puritans, a lot of the Puritans called it the dark night of the soul. Yeah. They entered into that moment where they were like just all of a sudden, you know, they were hit with these massive doubts, you know. I think a lot of them probably just simply because of the way that they saw their the 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 necessity of uh, having a tenacious faith to the very end maybe brought them to that. But I think in these moments where we're hearing words like deconstructed and ex-evangelicals and yeah. things like that, I think we see a group of people there that, as you pointed out, are feel like they either have it have it all right or they have to walk away from it all altogether. And there's no middle ground to where they can to walk through that dark night where they try to reconcile those issues, you know. I think it's possible, too, that some people are just really good at demolition, but they're not good at reframing, mm. not good at construction. Yeah. So some people really get off on knocking stuff down, but right. they don't know how to rebuild. And so sometimes we have to teach people that you don't hit with a, you don't, you don't drive a nail on the wall with a sledgehammer. You, you knock the wall down with a sledgehammer. You switch hammers if you want to work on the nail. And so some people have gotten so good at knocking things over and then, they don't know how to build anything up. It's just, right. well, we got to take them back to that school of understanding something. And the different. word of God's a hammer. You know, a hammer, you can tear things up or you can build with it. Yeah. You know, we were really good at tearing things up. Yeah. You know, but, you might know. depend on the, the hammer you're using. <laughs> Carol, I think you had uh, something there. I just wanted to say oh, to I'm Brian sorry. really quick just put a bumper sticker on your truck. My boss is a Jewish carpenter. That'll do it. There, That's it. There That'll, you go. That's the end of all <laughs> argument. <laughs> Everyone's faith will just boom hit a ten. All the deconstructionists will see like his his but boss a, is a construction. I'm not a Jewish boy. carpenter though. <laughs> <laughs> boss is it? Go ahead, Carol.
Actually, it's uh, where it says, you know, um, my name is graven on his hand. And uh, really, people, that when we get into these moments of struggle, it's, it's important to understand that people are that Christ is more committed to us than we are to him in any given moment. You know, he's, he, I mean, if, if, if we're the one, you know, you know, he's the one that keeps us from falling. We don't keep ourselves from falling, as it were. And so it, it's... With that mentality, it's easy to approach somebody. You know, are we dealing with somebody that is doubting their, their Christians and they're doubting their faith, or they've never come to Christ to begin with? Um, I mean, because um, the Lord knows those that are His, and He's put His seal on them, His mark on them, and they will not be lost. I think I just morphed like 10 Bible verses together. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, yeah, yeah just, I'm just doing it different up here. But uh, so... Is that good? Do we answer all your questions on that, Brian? Boom, thumbs up. You got anything? Anything? All right. Tomorrow, yes. Uh, tomorrow we will not be having service, unfortunately. Uh, me and Justin have been back and forth on this uh, most of the day, he's decided, just because they're, Neil's having to leave at 7 because uh, I'm scared of a little Cat 2, 3 hurricane. It you know, started as Cat it started as like a Right. I bet you were, it's going to be cat something bigger. Neil, you got to follow the science, man. That's the way this works. You know, <laughs> uh, you know he's got to drive. They've got to drive back to uh, Atlanta. So he said, "Well, I didn't want him driving a twenty-five mile an hour crosswind." And I was like, "Well, that little Ford Ranger probably couldn't make it anyway." So you know, when you think the Holy Spirit could empower that vehicle to get you back in a bad storm, <laughs> so uh, just uh, you know. We, we just decided we're going to go ahead and push the pause button on it, unfortunately. Um, but uh, we've had a good day today, I think, and uh, I appreciate everybody that helped with the food yesterday and today, Carol and Pam and uh, Tiffany, and uh, hopefully I'm not forgetting somebody that, that brought food. We appreciate that. So uh, let's go ahead and pray, uh, and we'll be dismissed, all right? Uh, Father, thanks uh, for your great love for us. Thank you for uh, your commitment to us. Uh, that is was evidently displayed on the cross and through an empty tomb and through the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, the ongoing work that you do in us and the relationship that you cultivate even when we don't even know how to do it. Uh, you intervene in so many unique ways that uh, we couldn't even thank you for them all. Uh, but we're, God, we're glad that uh, you are God that is interested in us individually uh, as uh, your children and corporately as your bride, your church, and uh, we're looking forward to the things you're going to do through us uh, and in this world as uh, your word and your gospel goes forth. In Jesus' name, amen.